righty. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to this conversation. Welcome to uh, this podcast, this conversation that will be a part of our Black History Month here at Sanctuary this year. Thank you all for saying yes, particularly when you didn't quite know what you were saying yes to <laughs> at first. Um, but I, I'm excited to, to jump into this conversation, and I think it's going to be a great one. Um, for the folks who are listening and will watch later, I, I just would love for you all to just say quickly uh, your name, how long you've been connected to Sanctuary, and if you have any family or close friends that are a part of our community as well, just let us know who your folks are here at Sanctuary. So, uh, Dr. Ron, I'm going to start with you. Happy to. Uh, greetings, everyone. My name is Ron Franklin. I've been connected to Sanctuary uh, for about 15 years, uh, but been in the cities for three Okay. And this has uh, been the church home that I've found to be most favorable, namely because of the relationships and the connections. So the, the lanes in particular, uh, yeah. Justin and Katie, that's been a, a family connection here for us that's kind of been persistent. And, uh, yeah, we, we love going to church with people that we love. So. Cool. Your family is? Yeah, yeah. So we got uh, Rachel is my spouse, and then mm -hmm. our two boys, Noah and Jonah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. I'm Mariah Mirabel Nelson, and I have been at Sanctuary for about five years. Yeah. Hi, and I'm Jacob Gale. I've been at Sanctuary since 2012, mm -hmm. um, so just about 12 years. I retired a couple years ago as Vice President for Social Impact at Medtronic, and President of the Medtronic Foundation. Mm -hmm. I retired from the Centers for Disease Control. I retired from the United Nations. I, I know retirement well. <laughs> right. uh, and um, my wife, Joyce Lee Gale, is um, an elder here at Sanctuary Absolutely. and has been here just about as long as I have. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm, I'm super excited to have you all uh, be a part of this conversation. We're just going to talk, jump, talk through some topics. Um, the congregation will eventually get to see and hear this, um, but let's let's just be present with one another and, and see what the Lord will will bring together um, through our conversation. Um, we're we're really trying to think broadly about um, the Black Christian experience, about our own story as Black followers of Jesus. Um, I'm particularly interested in. Um, thinking about how our faith here in the U.S. connects to, to the continent of Africa and our brothers and sisters there. And so we'll take a couple different stabs at trying to uh, weave that conversation together. And um, the first aspect of the conversation I want to have is I, I want to just by a quick show of hands. Um, if you've ever heard the expression, Christianity is a white man's religion, like just wave your hand real quick if that's, that's something you're familiar with. Um, I feel like that's a conversation that comes and goes in the community. And it's certainly one that's like back on the surface, particularly in urban areas. Um, this idea that uh, Christianity was given to us in slavery um, as sort of a, a, a sedative to keep us calm. And um, it, it has since been used to like keep black folks in their place. Um, that's, that's one of the ways people think about it. And I, I wanted to just maybe see what's been your experience with that idea does it make sense to you? Do, you? do you get what people might be trying to say when they say that? And then I want us to wrestle with um, like any challenges to that idea we might have. So feel free to jump in, whatever feels good to. Yeah, I can just share quickly. The first thing that comes to mind for me is trying to create the distinction between 
religion and maybe white man's version of religion right. that creates right. some style of superiority based on one's race or ethnicity. So that's the first thing that emerges for me when I hear, right. I think, the valued critique mm -hmm. of uh, <laughs> what, what it looks like to be a person of the Christian faith mm -hmm. and how quickly culture comes into that conversation. And right. I, I think it's a worthy argument to be wrestling with because uh, there's a difference, I right. think, between the, the purity of the faith Right. Um, but I, I, what I struggle with is the idea that it is right. white man's religion. Um, white folks may have spread it in a particular way, in a particular right. style, with particular iconography right. and pictures of Jesus, but uh, I don't think that's what its origins mean. And so I had the privilege of visiting uh, the Holy Lands and recognized fairly quickly that uh, it's brown-skinned people and right. curly-haired people in that right. space, and it's not the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that was um, perpetuated pretty quickly with art and yeah. other icons about what, what this faith is really about. Right, right. So what do you all think? White man's religion. Are they on to something? So, yeah, I think they're on to something. I think they're on to fallacy. Um, that's what it is. <laughs> right. You know, when you, when you really, first of all, look at the Bible mm -hmm. and you look at this story from a um, from Judaism into Christianity, Africa and Africans have been a part of the faith story from right. from the beginning. Right. Um, from what we know, even from the side of science, that more than likely, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the, yeah. the whole idea of the beginning of humankind. Right. If 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 it wasn't in Africa, then where was it? Right. Right. Um, you know, and so I think even though we know that God uses different ways to be able to carry His message. And I, you know, I won't say that slavery did not help to impart the word of God in a certain kind of a way. Mm -hmm. it, it was a faith that included us, right. that was for us, right. that represents us. And um, I think ultimately is a, a faith that is going to be continued, carried around the world because of us. Right. So, right. no, I, I don't agree with it, but I understand where people might say that. Yeah, yeah. I can see how that happens. Yeah. I think as someone who grew up in the church, who went to like a Christian undergrad, it wasn't until my sophomore year that I realized that there were black people in the Bible. Yeah. And that wasn't yeah. for a lack of like the Bible changing, right? But like being in a space that socializes you um, a particular way and kind of right. socializes the gospel in a particular way. Yeah. Um, I can see how it happens really quickly. Yeah, yeah, certainly I, I think um, when I hear the statement, Christianity is a white man's religion, um, like there's, there's a part of compassion that first sort of comes out of me because I'm always mindful of, like we believe what we believe for a reason. Um, and so there's a context even for that sort of accusation. And, and also I hear it more as like a sociological argument than a biblical and theological argument. Like, that argument would have no feet to stand on if Christianity had not done some of the horrible things or had been played out, some of the horrible things have been done around the world in the name of Christianity, right? Um, and so when there's also like a huge gap in terms of um, evangelical Christianity, like it hasn't done a good job of affirming the basic dignity of people who aren't white. And so why would someone claim uh, Christianity as a white man's religion? It's because it has served whiteness really well in the US and around the world. Um, but that being true and that understanding being there, 
I go back to what you say, uh, Brother Jacob, like when you actually do the biblical work and what you say, Mariah, when you actually do the biblical work, you see there are black people all up in the Bible, like all, all through the Bible. Egypt is in Africa. Um, and, and so that, that sort of black presence in the, in the Bible and in the, the sort of history of our faith has always been there. And I, I think one of the things I love about our church is that we have an opportunity and, and a growing opportunity to like just learn more about the ways in which Africa has shaped the, the Bible and our faith. Um, but it's certainly something that there's an unlearning that has to happen, like these names and faces that we've associated with our faith. It's not just all white people. Um, like there, there've always been, uh, there's always been an African presence in the Bible. And I would love for us to just, as we continue to grow and develop as a church, think about what that, what that looks like. Um, quick show of hands, like have, before we started preparing for this, has any of you heard of the Ethiopian church before? Yeah. yeah what, what's been your engagement with the Ethiopian church? Um, what, why does that matter to this conversation? Well, so Ethiopia has been, again, uh, a, a country in an area that has played an important role in both Old and New Testaments. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that today. When you, you do go, to, I've, I've likewise spent time in the Holy Land, and when you meet the Ethiopian Jews right. who have finally been recognized um, as having the right to return to the nation of, of Israel, mm -hmm. um, they've been a part of the story ever since, mm -hmm. you know. The same thing when you look in the Bible and the conversion of the of the Ethiopian, um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name now, yeah. but Ethiopian eunuch, the eunuch, right? Yeah. And and so you know Ethiopia has had that central history. I've I've also been blessed to have um, several opportunities in Ethiopia yeah. and visited the the various churches right. from the Coptic Church to some of the other um, more traditional churches to the Pentecostal Church. Mm -hmm. And, and to see that Ethiopia continues to have a central key part in the history yep. of both Christianity and Judaism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Ron, Mariah, any thoughts? Or, or perhaps anything Dr. Jacob shared prompt any thoughts in you? A uh, number of things come to mind, but I think primarily for me is just the recognition, again, of the, the context. Yeah. Right? Um, to think about how much of the scriptures were placed in East Africa, mm -hmm. Northeast Africa, mm -hmm. and kind of up the coast as we work our way up to to the Holy Lands. But um, right. I think it's humbling for me to start right. to recognize that my faith and my imagination of the people who were in the book right. <laughs> uh, didn't always involve, or my imagination hadn't been stretched to think about the complexion Right. Uh, and then the culture of right. the people who were in those spaces. I don't know, we could wrestle with why that happens. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it for purposeful reasons in terms of supremacy and making sure that particular people groups were identified and those who right. weren't uh, to be left behind or whatever you want to uh, you know, reflect on that idea. But it was humbling for me to recognize that the context, the place in which these stories have happened mm -hmm. We're in Ethiopia. We're in the Fertile Crescent. These are beautiful places in the world where um, things could grow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the garden, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, I think that's what comes to mind for me is the, the beauty of the context. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think I have quite a few Ethiopian friends um, that have been able to share with me kind of that rich history, which has right. been really beautiful. And they're not shy about it either. No, they're, they're really shy. proud of it, which makes right. sense, right? right? And a lot yeah. of them are at Sanctuary now, which is really yeah. cool that we, you know, as a community get to then share in that, that yeah. rich history too. Yeah. I was going to say one other thing that I think is interesting when you look at modern history juxtaposed to um, ancient history is that, you know, Ethiopia is the only part of that continent that has that never been colonized by right. Europeans, right. you know. Right. Um, and so I think there's a spiritual significance yeah. to the fact that, you know, people talk about Christianity being a white man's religion. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that the country in the area that has probably the most recorded history mm -hmm. is one that was never dominated or colonized right. by, by right. Europe. Right. And, and it goes back to that fact of when people say Christianity is a white man's religion, what are they actually trying to say? It's not that fact-based sort of critique. It's, it's actually something else. And so, again, we've got to know that ourselves so that we're not swayed by, by those kind of arguments. But I certainly, I think we can also have a compassionate heart towards folks who feel that way. I, I don't know if you all have seen it. Um, just in the last probably two years, um, there's been more and more Hebrew Israelite presence in North Minneapolis even. Like sometimes, not necessarily on Sunday, but on, on the weekends, on the corner across the street, you'll see them out there in the purple and gold looking like Q dogs, you know. Um, but <laughs> just my little jab at Q's. But um, again, there's a, there's a reason that some of the things they're saying resonates with people it's because for us as christians we've still got a lot of work to do to prove that there there is um that this faith is ours too and not just something that was like impressed upon us in slavery um i, I loved in in one of the resources that we were looking at in preparation for our conversation it, it sort of traces the the journey of the christian faith from from jerusalem uh to places like ethiopia over to Rome for sure, but also into uh, parts of West Africa. Um, so places like uh, Cameroon and Congo, uh, Senegal. And so when we think about the transatlantic slave trade, there's a very real possibility that there were people who were Christian in West Africa uh, before they were kidnapped and brought to the US and would have brought their faith with them. Um, and so again, like if we don't have opportunity to study those kinds of things and wrestle with those truths, we would accept the fact that, hey, this was something that slave masters gave to us to keep us sort of chill so they could do whatever to us. Um, I, I want to think about that idea of uh, having a Christian faith as an enslaved people as well. Um, we've, we've all seen the many slave films um, and the horrors that are depicted, and we've done research and, and reading on the horrors of slavery. Um, what do you think about that idea of trying to hold to a faith in the midst of the horrors of slavery? What kind of things come to mind for you all um, or, or questions you have about what that experience must have been like? I just to speak. Uh, Directly from the heart in, in response, please, to my, like please. I could hardly even imagine as right. resilient as I imagine myself to have been brought up to be. Right. The things that we face in our society today, I can't even equivocate to what right. 
I'm imagining it to have been like, for example, see myself as a leader. Would I have been a Nat Turner type leader right. who was so committed to my faith right. that I was ready to step up to this injustice right. and lead a rebellion to right. the point that <laughs> I'm publicly flogged and hanged right. and like brutal, brutally murdered? Right. Uh, that's 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 a hard wrestling for me to imagine that I would have been at a at that point in my resilience right. to to have done that in the face of uh, such ill humane treatment. Right. Uh, of right. a people, as much as I love Jesus and as yeah. much as I'm committed to my faith, like that would be really, really challenging. Yeah. Um, but what I love about things that we are learning about Nat in particular is that his faith was so deep. For sure. Even after being handed a Bible that wasn't whole. Complete, right, right. <laughs> right. Latching on to this Exodus narrative mm -hmm. and sharing it with the people and the people speaking it to those who were oppressing. Right. So much so that they were angry. Right. Like, how do you know this better than we do? Right. <laughs> like, there was some revelation happening in that space that I think unleashed and unlocked uh, the beauty of the gospel in ways that I can only dream about, hoping right. and wondering, like, what does that look like for me right now, yeah. right, in this context? But yeah. that's that's a challenge for me to wrestle with. Yeah, 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 for so, sure. So I think also that um, when you look at the history of slavery. Uh, and, and Africa. Mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about the 12 million Africans who were taken across the Atlantic into the Americas. Right. Oftentimes we don't hear about the 15 million Africans that were taken into the Middle East and onward. So really, there was more of a loss to the East than there was to the West mm -hmm. in some ways. But, you know, let's not quibble over a million or two. <laughs> 27 million, to lose 27 million people of a continent yeah. is, is, is um, incredible. But all that to say is that... Um, as slavery began in the western part of the continent, it had already occurred a lot on the east. Right. Bringing in religion, other religious faiths from the east, mm -hmm. the assumption is that when they came to the West Africa, people were already Muslim or they were already this and that. Well, that, that was also all part of the slave trade. Mm -hmm. African people are some of the strongest people in the faith of God. Yeah. What they call that name of God may have been right. different under different circumstances. And I believe that as they came, as our ancestors came across to the new world, mm -hmm. they knew that this is a faith, a living faith, a faith of God. Mm -hmm. While the masters may have pushed the, the scriptures like, you know, slaves obey your masters and things like that, I think our people were able to attach themselves to the message of the Exodus, mm -hmm. that someday we will be free. Yeah. God will deliver us, will right. take us across the Red right. Sea. And so I think that we were able, and I think it's the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. that brings these things to our minds and our memories. We're able to find that message of truth, right. even when the word of God was being used, right. perhaps in, in, in not so good ways. Right. Amen. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, I think about... Um, this heritage that we have, and that's regardless of whether where you grew up in the world, but um, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have this this melanin in your skin, there's there's something that feels natural about. Um, you used the word resilience earlier, um, but a faith that can get you through difficulty. And I, I always tie that back as far back as slavery. That not not that that was the introduction of hard things for us, but it certainly was a point. If there was ever a point where people could have said, yeah, I'm, I'm good with this God stuff, that would have been a, a point for it. 
But instead, they leaned into their faith and they took something that was given to them or, or at least uh, tainted. Um, you talk about the slave Bible where masters would take out any reference to freedom and liberation and amplify the parts that are about being docile and all that. Um, they, they took something that was tainted um, and actually insisted on the purity of it and said, I know you've said this is what the Christian faith is, but it is also a God who sets his people free. And if God did it for them, God will do it for us. Um, and to think the power that must have come day to day at some of their lowest moments from that kind of faith, I think it's, it's something beautiful. Um, I, I also, I sometimes get, I, I sometimes am jealous about the desperation they must have had, the, the prayers they must have prayed, Songs they must have sung to get them through their fa- their days um, and their years and decades of that kind of suffering. Um, on those days where I find it hard to pray <laughs> or I feel like I'm too busy to, to spend some time with the Lord, I, I do think back to um, I'm grateful that I, I'm, that I can look at their example and say, even on the most difficult of times, there's some, there's there's a need for us to stay connected to to our faith, um, I, and I don't have the excuses. <laughs> like knowing their story, I I know I don't have have the excuses. Anything come to mind for you, Maria? Uh, I wonder about like the ways that God was really like active in that time. Mm-hmm. Like I can only imagine like the prayers being mm-hmm. answered, or like the voice of God that they heard, right. or like the. Right the strength that he was giving them right. in in different situations. And I think about like people like Harriet Tubman, right? Mm-hmm. Like that in some ways, like supernatural strength that right. you're receiving right. and that creat- creativity yeah. also. Like I, I just can imagine like the, like yes, God uses the Bible to speak to us. And For like sure. I can only imagine the ways that he was using, you know, creation and yeah. each other yeah. and um, his voice to right. speak. Um, right to people during that time too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just, uh, I wonder about lament for a moment, uh, what that was like for the people in those places. Um, And I'll tell you why that occurs to me. So I got to go to Mississippi, um, in the Delta in particular, and Mm -hmm. I stood out in a field, Mm -hmm. and I'm a fast dude, I'm an athletic guy. It's like, I would not be able to get away. (laughs) there is nowhere to go and in a field of cotton that black spot out there that's easy to see it's easy to see and so I I wonder what the cries would have sounded like uh and and if those prayers would have been answered and and how do you stay resilient in a space where the the one thing that feels like the right thing that you would want God to do is just not going to (laughs) happen right uh like that, that moves me to emotion even in this point in time. Like, right. how? How do you persist in that space? Right. And like, God, where are you right now? Because right. like, I'm a black spot in a cotton field. Right. And that cotton field can become red real fast. Yeah. And, and not too many people are going to care. Except for maybe my people, right? right. Who would have known that yeah. now I'm lost and I'm, I'm, I'm gone. Um, but man, that's a, that's an oppressive space to function in, and I, I can't even imagine. Um, and I love God, yeah. but where are you? Right. Where right. are you? Yeah. Right. And I wonder if we would even, um, if we 
not that they need our permission, but we give them permission for the angry cries they must have sent towards heaven as well. God, where are you? Like, like, why is this happening? When will it end? Um, for for many many slaves, like they their entire lives were spent. That generations and generations of their family were lost in slavery. Um, I again, I think it's a miracle that people held to faith in that, a supernatural kind of uh, pr preservation of the faith because in a very natural sense, you, you, you do this, you try this, it doesn't work, you go on to try something else. But these people held to a faith when it didn't make sense. I, I just think there's, there's something rich about that um, and something that we today can draw on as well because um, while we're certainly not in the same sort of difficult situations, there's certainly enough difficult situations today where you wonder, Lord, why, why can't you just work this out? Why can't you just fix this? You could, in an instant, change the situation, Lord. Why won't you? And I wonder what God is teaching us in, in those moments, you know? So one of the things that, makes, that I think about often is the, all that they went through, mm -hmm. our ancestors, mm -hmm. um, all that they prayed for, mm -hmm. And yet, one of the things they prayed for was me. Mm. You know, and I, I look at the promise of the Bible that says mm -hmm. that I will protect and I'll watch over your children and your children's children Amen. up to a thousand generations. Amen. And I know that in our generation, we've been so blessed. Right. Not right. always because of our own prayers right. and not always because of what we've done, but for our ancestors, the right. prayers of our ancestors. How in the world do they have the energy, right. the, the soul, the spirit to pray not only for their tragedy right. but also for our future right um and yet here we are we're perfect examples of it yeah um there's some strong 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 faith yeah yeah certainly certainly i, I even i think so coming out of slavery um there, there was a point when those prayers were answered and freedom did come um but these folks were still like for the most part very poor um didn't have all the things that they they would have wanted or needed, I think about how their faith must have changed, um, transitioning a little bit, how their faith must have changed once they were free. Um, a part of, I think, church history, particularly in the black community, is that when slaves were freed, uh, they organized often their lives around the church, not just because of the faith component, but because the church became a civic uh point for them, a point of civic engagement, a community center became a place where they went for education. Um, the pastor in, in those communities uh, was often the only educated person in a lot of these communities and so had a place of prominence in the community. Um, I, how, how do you all think about that, that, that aspect of it, the fact that the church was important in slavery, of course, and faith was important in slavery, of course, but remained important once they were freed as well. Any, any thoughts or reflections on that and what that must have been like? Um, <laughs> Mariah's like, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll speak maybe just quickly to my imagination of what right. the church in Acts looked yeah. like and yeah. how perhaps there's a new iteration of that in mm -hmm. the black community, the black church, and what it was serving as. So the suggestion and what we understand, I think, in Scripture and Acts is that uh, 
there were no needs among them because they were sharing everything. And that's right. what comes to mind for me right. in terms of the nature of the black church serving as a, a community center, a place yeah. for flourishing for all people who found them themselves at the doorstep of the church. Yeah. Um, and that, that feels really beautiful to me. Yeah. I think that's uh, it gives us an imagination of what uh, well, if we talk <laughs> little, little Bible Bible words and such, right? This eschatological vision. What, what is it going to look like for all of creation to flourish and the church is serving yeah. as the center, yeah. as that uh, place in which that uh, well-being and flourishing for the people is happening? Yeah. And so from civic engagement to uh, community well-being, from mental health, physical health, um, I know for me, that was one of the central pieces that got me to church as a youth. Right. On Wednesday night, we got to play basketball before the service started, <laughs> right. right? And that, uh, that fueled my interest. Uh, and then there was also folks who were in that space who were helping me develop spiritually. Mm -hmm. But then also uh, thinking about, you know, what, what does it look like for you to go to college? What kind of grades do you have? Right. 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 Uh, so there were questions and engagements that were happening for me that were helping spur me on uh, right. to what I was called and created to be. And that's what I think was happening in the church, uh, serving as the centerpiece for the community.